0: Hey, this is Malcolm Brogdon, and this is the Sideline Guys podcast.
1: Hello, Pacers fans, and welcome into another Sideline Guys Wednesday. We are powered by Game Bridge alongside Jeremiah Johnson. I'm Pat Boylan. When we were last talking, uh, I was I was uh, coming to you from Turks and Caicos, so I will admit that uh, being back in Indianapolis quite isn't the uh, similar scenic scenario for where i'm hosting this podcast i know you were coming from uh, fort myers florida for a good chunk of the week too but we're thrilled to be back thrilled to have basketball back and we're three games into the post all-star break slate note not the second half J.D. the post all-star break slate <laughs> and uh i'll tell you a pretty unpredictable first three games if you said you would have been one and two through these two uh, three i don't think it would have shocked you uh, but hammering boston being the one win i think is a little surprising
0: yeah, I think that we'll find that over the final month and a half of the season, that probably some unpredictability. You never quite know who's going to be available due to injuries, and maybe there will be some rest situations. And and also the opposition will be in different um, situations moving forward. So we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, I never would have known you were in Turks and Caicos when I talked with you last week. Uh, it's amazing the
1: technology. Through these uh, teams chats it, it is pretty impressive in fact I then went uh, the next day and was actually unfortunately when Lynn Dunn was announced I wasn't able to be there I had this trip planned long before the press conference I'm talking on the fever side here and she was announced interim general manager for the fever who's the former head coach who helped guide them to a championship I was actually sitting in the Turks and Caicos airport which is for as um, glorious as the island is um, the airport isn't a lot to write home about it's, it's pretty small the air the internet in there wasn't working so i was actually using my cell phone through roaming data which verizon luckily has a good plan and uh and listening to the lynn dunn press conference in a crowded airport um, in turks and caicos so i i just had to laugh and think gosh could you imagine doing this not even five years ago, I mean, five years ago, but I mean, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, it's amazing, but uh, no, good to be back, and we kind of spent the last podcasts kind of looking, I think, a little bit bigger picture at the final 22 games, and that's going to equate to here, as as we are into early March, it's about five weeks left in the Pacers' regular season, and when you talk to Rick Carlisle about these five weeks, you know, he's talking bigger picture, he's looking for matchups and combinations, and and duos and seeing what he has in, you know, a lot of these young guys, some of them new, some of them have been with the team uh, for a good chunk of the season, but are starting to find themselves into new roles in new playing time. And we spent some time talking about that last week and we haven't done a mailbox in quite some time. So uh, figured we could go that direction and look at the mailbox questions and we got a decent Amount of uh, questions in via Twitter, so we thank all of you. Did any jump out to you? Anything you want to start with?
0: Well, just before we do that, I did want to uh, you know piggyback on what you just said about Rick Carlisle and the approach for the rest of the season. And I actually did this as a sideline hit uh, during Monday's game against Orlando, and I can't even remember exactly who asked the question. I think it might have been Scott Agnes, but it was the practice on uh, Thursday, or I should say Wednesday, uh, in Indianapolis. After the all-star break, when you were still in Turks and Caicos and we were working, but we got a great comment there from Rick Carlisle when um, the question was, you know, how do you approach this stretch run in the final 22? It was at that time, I think 23, maybe he said, everything we're going to do is to build great habits, championship habits. We have new guys we are continuing to learn about. We want to see what Jalen Smith is capable of doing as a two position player. As a four, as a five, we have a good idea about Tyrese's game. We want to have a real good idea of what we have as we head into the summer draft, free agency. We're getting these guys ready to compete in all of these games, and I think that's the the biggest question that people have when they watch a game on a random Wednesday night against the Magic. Uh, you, you know, we're not naive here. We're not going to put up the standings and say, "Well, technically, the Pacers are still uh, fighting for that." 10th spot because of the play-in tournament and there still is a chance, uh, you know, sure, they could win the rest of their games and they would probably, Pat, be in a play-in situation. But just everything that has happened this season, it, it's pretty obvious that there's a bigger picture, a bigger goal in mind. And I do think that that's allowed fans to have maybe a a more optimistic, a more positive approach to to what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. And, and, you know, like I said before, I'm seeing some positivity in these questions that we got on your mailbag pitch Uh, before we get going I just wanted to get your thoughts on that but I wanted to give a shout out to the fan base because there was some concern that I had when the Pacers traded Demontis Savonis and you know even just saying that before you even look at what they got um, coming on the heels of just some disappointing losses I was concerned of what the reaction might be and I've been you know overwhelmingly surprised not necessarily surprised but Um, happy with with the the reaction the fans have had with just the new direction that the franchise has taken.
1: Yeah, as have I been. And, you know, when you look at what this team has been over the last seven games, it hasn't been one um, that, you know, has checked a lot of wins. Um, You know, it hasn't been one that's had a ton of team success. But I think First of all, when you look at the trade, I think most people are looking at and there were three trades, but forgive me. I think everybody knows when I say the trade, which one we're talking about here. I think from a big picture perspective, most people looked at that and said the Pacers have a guard that has the ability that right now is probably close to all star caliber that has the ability to be a perennial all star in the backcourt at point guard for you know, the next 10 to 15 years. No, those are lofty expectations, but that's what Tyrese Halliburton has done in his brief NBA career, and so... I think that as much as anything, the potential to have that at the point guard position, a position that the Pacers haven't, you know, um, maybe had as as much of those big name type of players as they have in other positions. Um, When you think of Reggie Miller and Paul George and Jermaine O'Neal and, um, you know, all of the the top players that the franchise has had over the last 20 years. Well, here's one at point guard, but not just that, a modern point guard, somebody who can shoot the three with, um, you know, high level, of of execution and is a really efficient shooter and somebody you know that um, you can imagine really the franchise building around for many years and then how could you not be optimistic at least when you've watched him individually Tyrese Halliburton and when you've watched those guys come around. I mean, Halliburton's averaging 20 and 10 since he's been here. Uh, Buddy Heald is averaging 21 points per game since he's been here. Jalen Smith has impressed since he's been here. So look, you know, I I think there definitely is a bigger picture angle to all of this. And I think where the Pacers are now um, is more intriguing and the ceiling is a lot higher than it was If we would have recorded this or whenever we were recording this about a month ago. And I think that's exciting. I think that's what you're seeing. Um, And so let's delve into some of these questions here. And and I will start here with probably what is the, you know, most pertinent talking point over the last week. Although he did not play in the game on Monday. But I think the question that Rick Carlisle has gotten the most, frankly, one that um, he maybe is tired of getting is the combination of Tyrese Halliburton and Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, Brady Lane, uh, Lane specifically asked this. Do you think Brogdon stays on the team next year with fit injury concerns and now their play fast style? Um, what do you see and think? You don't necessarily need to predict whether he's he's on the team next year, Jeremiah. That's a really tough question. And frankly, it's one that I don't even know if the front, offense has, front office is fully answered. Um, but what have your impressions been? of the couple of games that we've seen from these two, and do you have any expectations?
0: Well, let's just take the last three games. Malcolm Brogdon played in two of those games, and he did not play on the second half, the back-to-back against the Magic. And, you know, it was easy to forget about what he does well when he'd only played, I believe, three games um, from Christmas until the All-Star break. And then he plays in those two games, and, you know, you lose an overtime to the Thunder. He did not play in the fourth quarter or in overtime. If he did, I think maybe... Uh, that's a Pacers win. And then, you know, he played three quarters against the Celtics and was instrumental in guarding Jason Tatum. And, and that was a big Pacers win. And you, I think you saw then, OK, this is kind of what they've been missing uh, over the last two months. This is kind of a reason why maybe they've struggled in some of these games and really not had the record they would have liked since the middle of December. And so my initial thought was it was good to once again see Malcolm Brogdon. We acknowledge that the injuries have been an issue. So what you say about Malcolm Brogdon when you watch him and you analyze him for the future, I feel like you almost always, at least for what he's done with the Pacers, have to have an asterisk because a lot of it's contingent upon health. If Malcolm Brogdon, if you were to tell me for the next three seasons, which I believe uh would probably be his contract, right? I mean, this season yes. plus three. Um that he would that he would play eighty to eighty five percent of the games, then I would feel really good about having him in that backcourt with one qualifier. And this is this is something that only Malcolm Brogdon can answer. I want Tyrese Halliburton to be the point guard of this team and not looking over his shoulder and not second guessing what he does on the court, how he acts. I, I want him to be the point guard, okay? This is kind of what was said when they acquired him. Kevin Pritchard talked after the trade deadline. Then we had Chad Buchanan on the podcast. And then, you know, I did ask Chad Buchanan on Pacers Live pregame the day after our podcast conversation, and he had some pretty good comments about Malcolm Brogdon and what he's been able to do off the ball and on the ball and how they could fit together. So what I think, to answer the question, it's a, it's a Solid question from Brady. I think if Malcolm Brogdon were to stay healthy and be okay with maybe having a role more like he had to start his career in Milwaukee than maybe he did early in his time with the Pacers, then I'm 100% on board with it. I think it can work. If he really wants to be a point guard and the guy with the ball in his hands more often than not, I probably have a little bit of reservations, to be perfectly honest with you. And I also, I guess I would need to see what, you know, we we may touch on the draft a little bit here in this podcast. It's probably something we'll do more in the off season. But to me, a lot would depend upon what player you get with that potential selection, or what you do with you know that asset, and how does that fit with with the, with the starting five and with a Malcolm Brogdon. So it's too early for me to say. I do think they can maybe be a better fit in the backcourt than let's just even use the example of. Uh, DeMontis Savonis and Miles Turner. You know, we talked about that for so many years. It was a big question that everyone um, felt like they had to ask, but then got tired of asking. Uh, That was, let's be honest, an awkward fit at times. I don't think this would be awkward if it stayed a Malcolm Brogdon, Tyrese Halliburton backcourt, but I can't confidently say that I think that's the direction the team will go. So uh, maybe you can read between the lines with how I answered that question of, of to what I think. But uh, there are a lot of ifs
1: when I answer that question. Yeah, and I don't have a whole lot to add because I almost completely agree with exactly what you were saying. When I was thinking of like three bullet points on how this works, you went and hit on all of them, which are A, his health. And let me just put it this way. Like if you got a healthy version of Malcolm Brogdon, let's say 65 games or more of Malcolm Brogdon for the next three years. And Malcolm was like, you know what, look, When I came here, the situation was different. Which, by the way, let me add, everything that Malcolm Brogdon has said so far is exactly the right thing to say. Everything that Tyrese Halliburton has said so far is exactly the right thing to say. And the smartest guy in the room, Rick Carlisle, is extremely confident in it working. Um, So that leaves me optimistic. I think if you had a Malcolm Brogdon who you knew was going to play 65 games per year who said, look, you know, it's it's possible as he's experienced being a point guard that he still feels like he can do that and is that guy – but look at, I don't have these numbers in front of me. It's something that I have meant to look up here and I I will for a pregame show in the coming days. I want to see him get a few more games under his belt with Halliburton before I do this research, but it would be really interesting to see the catch and shoot numbers versus the off the dribble numbers on uh, Malcolm Brogdon shooting threes. You know, his efficiency was just through the roof in Milwaukee and it's been good, not great with Indiana. And so if, you if there you can imagine a world where he is Malcolm Brogdon, healthy for 65 plus games a year. And he says, Look, um, you know, Halliburton's gonna set me up to, these are his words, Malcolm's, by the way, take a little wear and tear off of my body, help extend my career. Um, you know, I already know, speaking for Malcolm here, that I'm a good three-point shooter, and Halliburton's gonna find me, and then you know, this doesn't have to be totally cut and dry. And I totally agree with you that it needs to be Halliburton calling the shots and running all of that. Um, But you can have, you can stagger things. So maybe you set the scenario up where Brogdon's running the second unit a little bit more often. Um, you know, th- there's a lot that goes into that and there's tons of moving pieces and I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole uh, because we don't know who's going to be on the team and there's a TJ McConnell dynamic and all of that. That said, to me, there's a example of here. Uh, there's a, there's a, universe where this works. I think it's one that is not too hard to imagine, but there are a couple of things that need to come together for it. The statistic um, you know, that stands out to me is the Pacers have won 52% of their games when Brogdon's played and 39% when he hasn't, and that's over the course of this Pacers career. So that tells you right there, he's more valuable when he's on the floor, and I do think plan A would be making it work with Brogdon and Halliburton.
0: And one of the things that Rick Carlisle said after uh the Celtics game it's pretty plain to well no sorry I jumped ahead of myself he said uh when Malcolm Brogdon plays we're a different basketball team so there you go I mean that that just shows and who knows you said the smartest guy in the room is confident it can work so we'll have to see moving forward since you mentioned TJ McConnell I'll go back to you with the next question from our mailbag and it comes from John B I do not think this is John B from Outer Banks are you an Outer Banks fan or have you seen (laughs) I am not, but I am aware of
1: the reference.
0: Okay. Well, this says, and it's directed to you because I, I'll give you a lot of credit as well. Before I get, you know, I get a little sidetracked here. I asked for some mailbag questions. I guess I wasn't as specific as I needed to be in my tweet. Sometimes I take too much advantage of the extra space <laughs> or the extra characters on Twitter, and my tweets are too long. And and you corrected me. So you got a lot more. Feedback than I did on my tweet. So this is from John B. to Pat Boylan. How does T.J. McConnell fit into the rotation with his limited ability to space the floor? Um, I did think about T.J. McConnell when you brought up the idea of staggering Malcolm Brogdon and Tyrese Halliburton. And, you know, I'm thinking about the future and I'm thinking about next season. And you also have T.J. McConnell under contract for the future. And I still think what he does, even if he is not Uh, one of your team's primary three-point shooters. I still think there is value to the way he plays basketball, how he can get to the paint and then find open players, as long as you don't have other non-shooters on the court. Now, there there needs to be something. You want to see him knock down shots a little more frequently if he's given an open opportunity. I know he's been working on it. I'm confident he can continue to improve that enough so he's not left as open as we maybe saw at times this season. But it is a good question, and we know how much Rick Carlisle loves shooting. So one thing that we did see that I noticed the first couple months of the season before he got hurt is there were some games, and maybe it was just dependent upon matchups and how teams were choosing to defend McConnell. But when everyone was healthy, there were some games where he didn't play as much as maybe he did last season for sure and in other games this season. So that's probably the one thing I'm a little concerned about. I think he's the kind of guy that you've got to give him You know, you can't just put him out there for three or four minutes and expect him to automatically make an impact on the game. I think that he never gets tired, so maybe you put him in for the normal stretch and he's still going strong five, six minutes in, and all of a sudden you can't predict when he's going to make that steal in the backcourt or make that play that fires up the crowd. So I think as long as he can continue to be, uh, you know, a backup that comes in, plays a steady amount of minutes and does what he does, I think he can fit. But it also... You've got to have a good two slash three that can shoot the basketball pretty well, I think, to help with the spacing with what a Rick Carlisle offense is hoping for. So, again, this is another one of those questions. I am very confident that he can fit into this team's future plans, um, but a lot depends upon who he plays with.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm pretty much on the exact same page with you there as well. I think you have sorely missed what T.J. McConnell brings you this year. I don't think there's any doubt that as you were, you know, feeling like you were hopefully going to turn the corner in the month of December and as TJ McConnell went out, you struggled there. So I definitely think um, that there's a place for McConnell. There's a role for McConnell. What he does, I feel like, is really important and they don't have, you know, there's just not an abundance of guys around the league that um, can come in off the bench like that and spark you in the way he can, which I think is really important. I think we've seen Lance, you know, fill some of that role, but McConnell does it differently. McConnell's got such good vision too. So yes, I absolutely um, think there is a role for him, but I agree. Like you need, it'll depend on the off season. I think you need to continue to bring in guys like the best guys to be around him are those three and D type players, players that can knock down the shot and then also be there to help. McConnell is a tremendous uh, stealer. He's, he's very good on the defensive end in that regard, But he's not a big body, and so sometimes you know he can get overpowered on the defensive end. So having three and D guys around him, uh, I think, is vital uh, to him coming back, him having success. You think about, I mean, it's it's just so interesting how dramatically the Pacers have changed and probably will change. Uh, The teams that he was playing on even a year ago now look dramatically different, and the fit is different there. So I do think that's something uh, that will be assessed in the offseason. But – Like Brogdon, I think plan A is for him to work. And I do think there is an avenue for him to work. And so that'll be, uh, you know, something that I think is an interesting dynamic. And by the way, his cast is off. um, So he is headed in the right direction. Will he play this year? I I don't know. I I think that'll be uh, probably dependent on the next couple of weeks and if he can realistically get a point because you don't want to you don't want to bring him back for like two games. At least I don't think I I think that's something that if that's the case, um, you know, they would probably just opt for letting the offseason hit, but I do think there certainly is a role for him. So as we uh, continue to look at questions here, um, let's see. Uh, Let's go with this one from Neil, who asks, how important is Jalen Smith to the team's future? Are they willing to let him walk? Or do you think they will do everything they can to keep him? Well, one of the challenging (laughs) dynamics here is, the Pacers can only do so much to keep him, and this is coming off kind of an interesting time, an interesting game uh, where Jalen Smith was, what Rick Carlisle called maybe our best player, uh, got ejected. Talking Monday from that game in Orlando. Look, he's come here, he's impressed, he's been given a role that he didn't have in Phoenix. This off-season scenario with him to me will be fascinating, JJ, because I think in a normal scenario. If you're Jalen Smith, you go, look, this team took a chance on me. This team saw something that my previous team wasn't either didn't see or wasn't able to bring out in me, and I want to stay here. That role fits perfectly for me, and I appreciate that, and they've helped unlock something that my previous team couldn't, except (laughs) the Pacers are locked in how much they can offer.
0: Yeah, and also Dwayne Kitchell with a similar question, just simply, how can we keep jay smith and so i was actually asked the same question from kevin bowen and jake query this morning on uh, 107.5 the fan in the morning show and you know when they asked the question they said should should we just you know not let jay not let jaylen smith play anymore so no one else knows what he is capable of and that way no one else offers him uh you know a bigger contract one that we have we as the pacers have do not have the ability to match and i I said, well, I think that's, it's too late for that. <laughs> I mean, in, even in the limited sample size that you have from, from Jalen Smith, you see the three-point shooting, you see some rebounding and toughness, and some even some room protection, protection as well. So you've seen what he is capable of with a bigger role. He just never really got that chance with the Phoenix Suns. I'm guessing if he did not play another game the rest of the season, you're going to have a team offer a deal that the Pacers simply cannot match. Now, that being said, I don't rule out the possibility that he could say, I like it here. I appreciate the Pacers for giving me this opportunity. Let's just take a risk that, you know, I can stay healthy and I can do this deal. And then at the end of that deal, um, you know, we can come come to terms on a, a deal that's better for the player. However, there is something to be said for the thought that, okay, someone may offer him more but someone, if he plays great the next month, someone may offer him a contract he can't refuse, right? I mean, I go back to the Solomon Hill situation because I think he was going into his, this isn't quite the same because I, I think he had three seasons with the Pacers and it was the fourth year option that the Pacers turned down. That's what makes this one so crazy is that he only had the one year in Phoenix and they decided after one year to not extend that third year option, which you have to do before the start of your second season. I mean, for a number ten pick, that never happens. I mean, it's, it's you just so don't un- see it. Yeah, yeah, it's so unusual because you would at least, even if a even if a player had underperformed and you weren't thinking that player would be part of your future, I think more often than not, you would just you know extend that option and view that as an asset that you could include in a trade uh, the following off season. That's why it's just it's almost mind boggling that Phoenix chose to do this. However, who are we to, to criticize the team with the best record in the NBA right now, right? I mean, it happened, and then you, you let Tory Craig go to Phoenix, and you get this two-month sample size to see Jalen Smith, and hopefully you're just selling Jalen Smith on everything you have with the Pacers. So I'm not sure what else they can do. You can't say, you know, here's an unwritten agreement, and, you know, down the road will give this to you You just can't do that in the NBA so yeah I don't game. know I don't yeah you can't do it so don't even think about it if you're a fan like oh can you just wink wink nod nod and you mean no I can't do
1: it <laughs> <laughs> I mean it sounds I think good the Nuggets in got in big trouble football. I think the Nuggets got exactly big- <laughs> the the Nuggets got in big trouble doing that. I think it was Denver uh, a, a little bit. <laughs> I like think well, 10 years Minnesota ago. Also, or maybe it's Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah, it's Minnesota that I'm thinking of. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's definitely illegal. And yeah. I mean, look, the other thing is, if you decl- if you just say, uh-oh, teams are going to figure out about this guy. <laughs> well, first of all, you're right. It's too late. Second of all, if you did that – well, he, here's the advan- – the inside track you have here is not the money you can offer. The inside track you have is the opportunity. So if you, t- if you shut Jalen Smith down for the year, that guy's not going to want to sign with you. <laughs> He's got a say in this too. And if you shut him down and limit his p- potential to make money elsewhere – He's not going to like that, and that's going to completely ruin your chances. So, I understand it. You got to play him. You got to hope he plays well, and you got to hope you can sell him on this. And whether it's, you know, maybe he takes a one year deal shot with you, or maybe you offer him more years than another team can. But ultimately, if he gets too big of a deal, you have to just say, okay, we tried, and we got this one too right. And that's unfortunate. And let me just add, I think this rule is really dumb. Um, (laughs) Phoenix Phoenix should not be able to sign him totally. I, I am also mind boggled that Phoenix would do that. You have the 10th overall pick. And after one year, you were saying, you know, we don't value you enough. Um, to take a chance to at least see what he can be. Look, I know they're probably trying to save every penny for guys that can help them win now, as evidenced by wanting Tory Craig. Um, but this guy, on a cap of 110, this guy takes up less than 4% of your cap. It's it's crazy to me. Um, I, I think if you're the Pacers, you have to keep writing this out. Keep hoping you're building goodwill with him. It certainly seems like he appreciates Rick Carlisle and his style and what he's brought. But it's really dumb that the Pacers should have to inherit this they didn't make this call. I know there are other examples of bird rights transferring over and all that, but to me, this one should be looked at because the Pacers should not be penalized for seeing something in a guy and wanting to make him better and better his situation and and this is something where I think you should look at in the offseason or uh, they should consider in the next CBA. And I I
0: understand the Pacers fan interest in this because it does. It's it feels like it's kind of like you know, picking up the couch cushion and all of a sudden you found a hundred dollar bill that you didn't expect. But that's almost the way you have to treat this because I'm not sure. And I don't know this to, for a fact, but I'm not sure that the Pacers made that deal with Phoenix to get Jalen Smith. I think it was uh, to do a favor to Tory Craig, realizing he's on a two-year deal and maybe the championship window isn't during that time with the Pacers. And, and I think what he signed on for wasn't what direction they were going at the deadline. Um, And then also it allowed the Pacers to get off of that salary cap number for next season. It gave them some flexibility. Then all of a sudden now you see what you have Jalen Smith and you start to get excited and you start to, you know, well, he could be part of our rotation that we build around. And then all of a sudden you're, he's a really good player in his mid to late twenties. And all of a sudden you got him for, for Torrey Craig at the deadline. But if you lose him, don't be frustrated. Okay. Be happy for Jalen Smith. And who knows how things work out in the NBA. So I'm not going to say they're going to lose him now, but I don't want that to be the big thing you're watching over the next two months is and, and worrying about. It's like, man, I, I just hope the Pacers can keep Jalen Smith. If it happens, great. If it doesn't, it it might not have it, it wasn't, I'm not sure, the part of the plan at the deadline, anyways. And it's like I said, it's it's kind of a win-win. Scenario, I think, if he would even leave, then, ok, well, then you have that cap space to do something else with. So um, great question. And I've enjoyed watching him. And I did actually, before we get to the next question, <laughs> I enjoyed Rick Carlisle's answer to um James Boyd, I believe, in the press conference after the Orlando game when he asked about, you know Jalen Smith and the ejection and if he had anything to say to him. And he kind of had a long answer about you know dealing with players right now and getting to know players. And I thought it was well said. You know, we he's like, I don't really know Jalen Smith that, that well. He's come here a couple weeks ago. We had an all-star break, quiet guy. And then all of a sudden, you, he's probably the guy you least expected to get two technical fouls and an ejection. And I, <laughs> I thought it was a really good answer to say, that's not the worst thing in the world to know he's got that fire inside, right? I remember, I think it was Kiefer Sykes in one of his first games that, you know, he stood up to uh, someone. Actually, it was a player. And I don't remember the the whole thing, but he, I think he got an ejection, or not an ejection, got a technical foul in a critical part of the game. But Rick Carlisle wasn't upset because it's that fire, that passion that at times maybe has been lacking um, for this team in the last couple of years. And and you know, you're okay with that a little bit. Now you don't want to get ejected, and once you get the one technical, you got to kind of <laughs> you got to stop, especially when you're already dealing with injuries and and foul trouble and all kinds of other things. So um, not a good thing and not good that they don't have more that they can do with Jalen Smith, but uh, but it's been a fun development um, coming out of the trade deadline. Kerry Kluger, always one of our dedicated followers on Twitter, says, seeing great energy and a quicker style of play with the new guys. I was at the Celtics game on Sunday, and the guys were really fun to watch. That's not really a question, but uh, I thought you could just – follow up and can that continue? Can that energy, that style of play continue? Is that the way you think this team will be successful moving forward?
1: Yeah. And to be fair, I asked for questions and comments. So this is a comment. Ah. All the rules were followed, <laughs> at least in mind. So <laughs> no, we, we certainly appreciate it. And, and yeah, I think that's something where, you know, look, I, I think – the best case scenario for this team right now is to continue to see the individual development that you want. I think guys like Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Smith and even to an extent Buddy Heald, Chris Duarte, Isaiah Jackson. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll get into some Isaiah Jackson discussion here before we hang up. Um, that's, I think, the most important thing you're watching for down the stretch, even We're over watching for down the stretch. Major. even over the wins and the losses. I, I think that's first and foremost, the development angle of this. And I think that, but that is partially what has brought, you know, a bigger buzz to the building because I think people are interested in seeing that there's new players. They're exciting to watch. Um, you know, had you come to the Boston game? Well, it was a tremendous result, but also like you're watching Tyrese Halliburton hit shots from the logo and you're watching, you know, buddy healed have a huge game. And these are guys if. If you went to that Boston game, there's a good chunk of fans that hadn't seen any of these guys in person before. So I think all of that has brought a really exciting vibe, buzz, juice, whatever you want to call it. I expect to see it down the stretch um, as, as the year continues. And it's been a it's been a welcomed addition, especially for a team. We've talked about this since you and I took these jobs. The Pacers have been some level of either pretty good to. Um, very good. And this really hasn't been a scenario that's happened since we've been covering the team. And frankly, from a Pacers perspective, it's been since uh, really the year that they drafted Paul George that, you know, the team has struggled and, and probably knew that they didn't have the, the playoffs in their future. This is just the team that's always looking, you know, at the playoffs at this time of the year. So it's been it's been exciting. You know, Lance Stevenson hits that three to send the game into overtime on Friday and by no means if you would have just parachuted in from another planet would you have guessed that the Pacers are a team that are likely not going to the playoffs so that's fun to experience I think you're still seeing a lot of that I think you're seeing a real bump because of these new guys and, and absolutely from our perspective um, you know that, that's something that you love to have that environment still in the field house this late into a year that isn't very likely going to end in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, and I think actually I'll go to the next question, which I'll then comment on and then get it back to you. And this comes from Lane Koontz. And it's along this same, you know, thought process with vibe and experience says, since this season at times has felt like a slog, I'm not going to go that far, but I understand his point. And at other times, like an emotional roller coaster with your unique perspective as reporters, what has been The most enjoyable aspect of this season for you and you mentioned that Lance Stevenson game and that's what triggered me to bring up this question at this time from let's say the middle of December where I think it was after that Dallas game the Pacers had a win and I was still kind of optimistic about how things could go uh, for this season then you started to have all of the COVID um, games missed And just that stretch after Christmas where you you lost some close games and DeMar DeRozan hits that buzzer beater and really the calendar turned and I just felt like, eh, maybe it's not meant to be this season. From that point on, there have been probably five games that I could just right now, games or experiences or quarters, where I'm just like, that was awesome. And like, I don't know that in a good season, you have five of those games in two months where it's that memorable. I mean, like, let's just right now, let's say that Lance Stevenson quarter against the Nets and that entire week, maybe, the love affair with Lance Stevenson and his return to the Pacers. I mean, who could have predicted that when this season started, okay? That's one. Let's go to another one. How about the Golden State Warriors game that I did not even work, but I was jumping up and down in my living room when Kiefer Sykes hits a three against Steph Curry. I mean, that... That was one of the most improbable wins of any team in the NBA this season, and I'm and I, I acknowledge the record that the Pacers have right now. There have not been that many wins, but man, I don't think I'll forget that one anytime soon. And again, as noted, it's the one game this season that I didn't actually work. I mean, so there's two right there. Um, let's just go down the list. Uh, that Celtics game, they had won seven straight road games. I think an average of twenty plus points in their margin of victory. And you just dismantle them. I mean, it was not even close. You got them to get a couple of technical fouls with three minutes left and raise the white flag. So there I'm at three and I could keep going. I mean, there have at least been five or six of those moments here in in the time where you acknowledge the season was, eh, was going sideways and it wasn't going to be a playoff type of season. That's what has kind of kept me going. That's what's been enjoyable. And then the other thing, it kind of goes without saying, I've just enjoyed watching some games in person. Last season, uh, I just kind of have the shivers a little bit when I just think back to to the season where there were no fans in the building. Obviously, I wasn't at the road games either. But even the, the home games, because of the way our setup was, you know, you at least were in the club level, I believe, watching the games. I mean, I was in the loft every single home game. And then In the loft every single road game. I mean, I'd walk up those steps and I was just kind of like got a little queasy. And then I watched the team really struggle at times. And so the fact that I'm at least sitting beside you in the the new field house of the future, future renovations, and I'm watching these home games and I'm feeling the energy of the crowd. uh, That's what I've enjoyed most. And then also to add on to that, being at practice and getting to at least feel like I'm meeting these guys just a little bit. Um, and I'll say guys and gals as well, because uh, the coaching staff is always an important part of of what I do. And I've get, enjoyed getting to know Jannie Busick and also the other assistant coaches um, that are on board here and that I never really got to do last season. So th- those are the two things
1: that I would point out to to answer Lane's question. And, you know, a couple moments that immediately jumped out in my head were ones that um, you didn't even mention, which were all great examples of a season that has had, I think, a lot more enjoyable and enthralling individual moments than you would expect by the record. And while you're kind of on this bigger picture COVID return and all of that, uh, look. Let me first of all make this very clear. I am pro vaccine. I am pro mask. I am pro, um, you know, all of the um, different protocols that have been in place to protect people, first and foremost, people, whether they're NBA people, whether they're NBA employees, whether they're fans, people. I just needed to say that because I really enjoyed the moment that we had for the first time on Friday against uh, Oklahoma City, which was sitting courtside or very close to courtside at an NBA game, getting to do the jobs that we are so lucky to do. And for the first time in almost exactly two years, it it was something like March 8th, 9th, 10th. um, We were sitting there like it was normal. We didn't. Have, we the NBA has exactly. uh, for the most part removed the mask uh, mandate, and so you know, as as the COVID numbers have hit so low, and by the way, you know, we have to be vaccinated to be in those seats. We have to be boosted to be in those seats. We've been wearing masks, and frankly, the masks really aren't a big deal. Like you, you wear one, and you can talk through it, and I think you can maybe tell just a little bit. But for all things considered. The masks are not that big of a deal, you know, for what we do. But it kind of felt like the last remaining, uh, you know, chain that we had around us uh, from COVID. And it was just really nice to think big picture and have a game that for the first time probably was totally normal, dating back to almost two years, early March of, of 2020. I really enjoyed that. And and what I might pick as my most enjoyment, en- enjoyable moment of the season so far Um, That first game after the trade deadline, that first quarter after the trade deadline, which Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald, and there's all this anticipation, big picture on what the Pacers are doing, excitement and all that. Um, But also, like, let's see these guys for the first time. Let's see Tyrese Halliburton for the first time. Those of us that are lucky enough to get to follow the NBA for our jobs, we know very well, um, you know, how good of a player Tyrese Halliburton is. Although I, I will admit, I didn't realize, you know, perhaps just how good. Um, until he got here. But look, Sacramento is a team that's struggling out on the West Coast. I think a lot of fans were intrigued and excited, but didn't exactly know what the Pacers are getting because it's not a team in a big city. It's not a team that's been successful. It's not a team that's been on television. So that first quarter that the Pacers had with those new guys where they set the franchise first quarter record in their first quarter with the team. I mean, that's just it's almost a when you talk about Lance Stevenson and his return in that first quarter and you kind of laugh and you say come on now like if you would have told somebody that beforehand you would have said oh come on now he's not gonna do that in his first (laughs) quarterback and you would have said the same thing like you have all these new guys and the Pacers have struggled this year and to put up um, you know, the first quarter that they had against Cleveland, you go, come on, not, not in their first quarter together without any chemistry, with, <laughs> with jet lag players coming over. And yet yeah. that's what they did. And, and frankly, you know, they lost that game, by the way, they lost a significant lead. They didn't hold on. Um, it ended up in a loss. But I think that's also I think that's also had to do with some of the buzz that you've seen around, because, you know, the very first you know, they say it all the time. You, there's nothing like a first impression. Well, the first impression, the literal first impression, first quarter first impression of those new guys and of this team was so so good and so exciting, and that was also you know kind of just a a jaw drop type of, type of moment. It's why we love sports.
0: Yeah. So that was a big picture type of question. Now maybe another player specific angle we'll go right back to you and then i can follow up afterwards this comes from jackson barrett by the way has a pacers logo in his avatar that's always a positive i mean there's no better way if you've got all the things that you can choose for your avatar and you're choosing a pacers logo um i've got to give you your props so his question is what is chris duarte's ceiling on offense and defense do you think he has a chance to be an above average defender on the opposing team's lead ball handler since Halliburton is better at guarding our off-ball? That's an interesting question, and I think you could tell that Jackson Barrett, uh, just like someone who has a Pacers avatar, has been watching very closely. And I'll say that I feel like, you know, it was a question I was going to ask Rick Carlisle before the game Monday night, and I didn't get to it just because that's a, you know, it's got to be about a three-minute interview, and sometimes I've got four four in my head, and I only get to three because of how long the first two uh, answers are. But I was going to ask, with all the attention on a Brogdon-Halliburton backcourt, the nights that Malcolm Brogdon now does not play, and you're going to go back to seeing Chris Duarte, because he was injured just before the All-Star break, seeing Chris Duarte with Tyrese Halliburton. What are you looking for from that combination? But I do think it was interesting that he chose... To have Chris Duarte come off the bench and and start maybe a bigger lineup with O'Shea Brissett at the three against the Magic and that's probably for defensive purposes so Jackson's right on here that for Chris Duarte to be a starter uh, you know the guy that's on the court when games start and when games finish the defense is going to be a big thing I think he's made some significant improvements but Defending in the NBA is a lot different than defending in the Pac twelve. And this is no slide on Pac twelve basketball, but you know, sometimes I tune in late at night and I watch a game out there and I just feel like they're kind of just running up and down and and defense is is maybe optional at times. It just doesn't feel like I'm watching maybe a Big Ten or a, a Big Twelve type of game. Maybe that's a mischaracterization for me. And maybe Chris would tell me, oh no, it's it's you know, it's Obviously, they're playing defense, but not at the same level. So, I think he can improve defensively, but I do think it is going to be interesting to follow the next year or so to see how he fits on the court with Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, where where's Buddy feel Buddy healed fit into to things, and also just hope that he can stay healthy because he's kind of now having some you know minor injuries continuing to pop up.
1: Yeah, I think the question of what are Tyrese Halliburton and Chris Duarte's ceiling, I think for both of them are fascinating. Look, I think it's it's pretty obvious if you were to go back in time with the information that you had now, uh, go back to, I think, what was the, the draft in July, maybe of last year, but go back in time and do the draft. Duarte doesn't make it to the Pacers at 13. Um, so clearly, Regardless of what happens here, this was a good pick. The reason he fell to 13, the sole reason I would say, is of course his age. He was one of the oldest drafted first round guys of the last decade. And so that's something that will be fascinating to watch. What the reason for that is because I think some people, some teams were scared off by the fact that he may not, what you're seeing now, You know, he might not have the levels of development, the jumps that guys uh, typically have earlier in their careers because he's already done that just at the college level. And let's be clear, even if that is accurate, I think it's pretty obvious that the Pacers are going to get a super helpful player uh, for a long time, even if he doesn't have massive jumps in his career. But I also think there's something to be said for don't a lot of those massive jumps happen because of getting NBA experience. And, and like, I look at a guy who's a very different player, by the way, drafted very young, but like Anthony Simons, I remember when Portland drafted him and watching him thinking that he was going to be really good. Uh, and then, you, you know, it took him a few years to figure it out and and he's starting really to blossom now, but I went from being high on him to then thinking I'm, you know, mispicked that one. And then all of a sudden here he is. Well, I, I think so much of that is of course him developing, but also it takes some time Being in the NBA, reading defenses, mentally catching up to the speed of the game, knowing what works, knowing what doesn't. So I still tend to think – There's a decent amount for Duarte to still improve upon and develop on. And I do think that the defensive angle is the biggest question mark for him. And I don't mean that necessarily negative. I think he's a pretty good defender right now. He's a really good defender at Oregon. He doesn't have the massive length. So he's probably not going to be um, immediately who you think of as the shutdown wing defender, the guy you put on Durant and the guy you put on James and the guy you put on. Well, I don't even know. I don't know that anybody's figured out who to put on Giannis. But you know what I mean here. But I think he can be a good perimeter defender. You know, somebody who stays in front of his man, somebody that makes um, you know shots difficult. He's probably not going to be somebody who averages. You know over two over two steals per game but I do think that aspect of his game is is really the one like you you're pretty confident he's going to be a good shooter and he's going to continue to improve those shooting numbers but his defense is probably an area where Um, Things could improve for him and really raise his value to the Pacers. And then, you know, the question there wasn't so much about Halliburton, but him too. Like, so where he is right now, and and this is just, look, again, I I know only seven games, but what he's done with the Pacers, and I think because, you know, they aren't seeing the results of a top-level team that this has probably gone under the radar a little bit nationally. In the seven games he's played with the Pacers, he's averaging 20 points and 10 assists, James Harden's the only guy doing that in the NBA over the course of a season this year. And since the trade deadline, only Halliburton and DeJounte Murray, who is another all-star, are putting up those numbers. Again, it's one thing to do it for seven games. It's another to do it for 82. I fully understand and appreciate that. Uh, But he's doing so much now at 21 that the question, or I guess actually he, he's 22 as of recording this. He's a he's a leap day baby, so he considers it the 28th of February. I think probably uh, the government refers to his birthday <laughs> as today. I, we were having that debate. Like, I'm not sure he's allowed in a bar at 20 years of age on no, February 28th. We,
0: we had that same discussion, and I believe it, maybe it was because you might be on a text chain with Mark Boyle and Kristen Denary, and they were talking about it, but I, I did say that to Quinn. Wait a sec, I had to make sure he was turning 22 and not 21 because if if this was February 28th of his 21-year-old birthday, like did he get to go out in Orlando after the game last night and have a beverage? But because he already was 21. But a year ago, I think you're right. I think he would have had to wait till March 1st, and that's kind of a bummer.
1: Yeah. Even though yeah. technically
0: I guess March 1st is the
1: same. the same amount of time, right? It is the same amount of time. (laughs) It would be like if February 29th always existed. So he he really, he really doesn't lose anything. He just doesn't gain the extra day that nobody else has the ability to. But regardless, like the guy's 22 and, and so where can he go from here? He's already such a well-rounded player. I think the answer for him it revolves around his scoring and kind of that killer mindset. And I think defensively, he's he's probably got to get bigger and he's got to get stronger, um, so he can't be pushed around quite as much. And a lot of those are his words. He said this a couple of weeks ago. Um, so this isn't me necessarily speaking out of turn. I, I think defensively, he's got to get stronger. But then, like to me, what the guy's doing from an assist standpoint is like it, it's it's almost impossible to hope for anymore. he's He's a double digit assist guy with the Pacers. And he's been that in his career when he hasn't been playing next to De'Aaron Fox, which of course is, is such a brief career too. So for me, the real development for him probably comes on the offensive end. And can he, you know, find that killer scoring streak? And also I think of significance, can he find that while still being Um, as past-minded and unselfish as he is naturally. And so um, both Duarte and Halliburton, I think, are for very different reasons, are fascinating to watch the development of the two. Um, But I think it's very easy to imagine this being your backcourt for a very long time.
0: All right, let's continue to scroll through Pat's mailbag. And this is uh, a good one, I think, from Jake. Uh, you know, Maybe it's a similar theme to one of the questions we had earlier, but I'd be curious to get your perspective on this one, Pat. What effect does losing have on a team like ours? Are they of the mindset that next year is more important, or will they be discouraged by finishing the year poorly? I don't want to tank if it messes with the young player development. You probably will not hear Pat and I talking about tanking because just, you know, back to the Rick Carlisle quote that I shared you know, earlier in the show about what the objective was. The last thing I read there was we're getting these guys ready to compete in all of these games. And so um, while I acknowledge that when I start Pacers Live post-game after a game the Pacers do not win, I probably right now don't have the same despair maybe in my voice or, you know, as I leave the field house and drive home, it's not maybe – I'm not as upset because I, I do see the big picture. And I would say that probably some of those players – see that big picture as well but that being said i think this is an important message to get out to the fans and that is i totally understand you know the the idea to look at the standings from the bottom up now or to look at the draft and maybe even go to some of these websites that will do you know mock uh, lottery selections i get it like you're a fan that's part of what you know helps build a team and this is a position this franchise has not been in much. But I do think also games like the Celtics game are really important to give some of these players, these young players, maybe specifically these new players, a chance to feel good about this franchise, this fan base, playing big games in Gamebridge Fieldhouse. I really think that Celtics game, you know, that game was better much more than the loss was bad to the magic on Monday, if that makes any sense. I mean, I, you know, it wasn't a fun second half to watch or broadcast by any means. I, I did not really enjoy um, what I watched in in that, that second half, but that's a game where I do think the the players will probably see the big picture. They'll know they only had eight available at the end of the game. Um, They were shorthanded, but it's that game against the Celtics that I think that in June you'll be thinking about it'll cause you to maybe shoot those extra 100 jumpers and get you more excited about the upcoming season, because you saw what, what can happen, what it can be like here. And that winning is possible against a really good team um, playing that was honestly playing maybe the hottest team all season. So I guess I'm looking forward to making sure that there still are some really big wins it's maybe the quantity, not the quality, <laughs> or the quality, not the quantity moving forward, maybe what I'm probably hoping for.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's important to look at the how, especially down the stretch here. Uh, the how you win a game and the reasoning for uh, why you won that game. You know from a player perspective, from a development perspective is what I'm talking here. Look, I, I think everyone understands <laughs> how the lottery works. I think everyone understands. Well, maybe not to the to the nth degree, because the lottery is actually fairly complicated and has changed a little bit. But I think everybody <laughs> understands the concept of the lottery. Everybody understands the concept of drafting high and, and what that can bring to you. And I, you know, frankly, totally understand the concept of when the Pacers lose a game last night, um, feeling like, you know, there's a silver lining to um, to, to some of that. I, I totally understand that. That said, the one thing that this has kind of always been my feeling on this. And it's really never applied to the Pacers because the Pacers have never been in this spot. But the one thing, and this goes for any professional franchise that has a similar system to the NBA's, whether it's a lottery or not, if you're in a position to potentially get a high draft pick and you win a game, let's say the Pacers win a game because Tyrese Halliburton has 30 points and 13 assists or because Isaiah Jackson goes for 25 points and 10 rebounds or because Chris Duarte hits a ton of threes um, or because Jalen Smith all of a sudden provides you something that you weren't expecting that is not a moment to be mad about winning because those are a lot of the young guys that you're hoping will do those kind of things like the young guys playing well is what's most important here the draft can be finicky the lottery is extremely finicky right now the pacers and and, and look while while we're on the subject real quick i'm getting a handful of more questions in, um, and and I don't think we're going to have time for all of them. So I just want to say, if we didn't get to your question, I apologize. Many of these questions have to do around the draft, and I think you and I, once the dust settles a little bit, we'll have a couple more maybe draft special episodes than we normally do, because the Pacers will likely be picking higher. But the reality of the draft lottery is this. The Pacers right now, as we're talking, are in the fifth lottery spot, which means all of these spots are very, very, very much in play. One, two, three, four, five, six, uh, seven, and even eight is technically in play. Okay? So – and that's a ping-pong ball deciding those. I understand you get more ping-pong balls and all that. But there's so much up for interpretation in the way the NBA has done the draft lottery. uh, Being higher up there is a far less sure thing than it used to be. So when the Pacers beat Orlando on Wednesday or beat Detroit on Friday – and it's because Tyrese Halliburton has a big game or it's because Isaiah Jackson is starting to look like a guy that you can really build around in, in the middle. And it's been as promising as he has in those moments where he's gotten to play 20 plus minutes, which, uh, you know, by the way, has only been five games. I wanted to get this stat uh, because he's had some foul trouble this year. Isaiah Jackson has, and he certainly did on Monday against Orlando. Um, but, Jackson is averaging 18.6 rebounds in two blocks in games where he's played at least 20 minutes this year. So again, the fouling issue is something that he's going to have to work through. But I often think it's one of those things that maybe is a little overrated. Like there are not many guys, if any, in the NBA that are productive NBA players where you go, wow, that guy would be so much better if he could just consistently stay out of foul trouble. That's just something guys tend to learn. So I'm not really all that concerned with him. But as it relates to this question, look, I'm... If you lose a game like Monday where the Pacers are extremely shorthanded and and, and have Jalen Smith foul out and you view that as the silver lining, I totally get it. Uh, on the other hand, if the Pacers have a win because these young guys and, and even the new guys that you're looking to potentially build around for the future play well, you want those guys playing well. That's the whole point of all of this. And I just think it's, it's important to have context to a lot of this uh, down the stretch. And, you know, uh, frankly, that'll be kind of a theme, I think, of the final 19 games.
0: So where did you uh, fall when uh, Tristan Thompson was getting some, some big playing time and helping get a win against the Wizards? Because I did, I did see a lot on Twitter where fans did not, you know, hey, why are we doing this? But I still, at that particular time, and let's go to that wizards game, going into the all-Star break, having it be the fourth game of these new players, time with the Pacers, I thought it was important for the staff to do whatever possible uh, to get that win. And that night, Tristan Thompson helped get that win. You didn't just you weren't necessarily, I don't think, in that situation, playing someone and taking minutes away from someone else uh, that much. So I, I think, it, and it was a great move by the organization. Then at that point, hey, you know, let him go play for the Bulls. We probably don't want to do this a bunch moving forward. Is sacrifice playing time for our future for a player like this? Um, so I, I, and I can't argue with anything you said. You know, after a big win, when a guy that is a part of your future plays well, don't be that guy that's like, oh, down in the dumps. <laughs> you won. How did how did you do that? <laughs> then right. you're never going
1: to be happy, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, with with the Washington question, at least specifically to that game, I thought it was important that they got a win. Look, I'm not too concerned if the Pacers struggle in these final 19 as it relates to, you know, Tyrese Halliburton or any of these young guys' mental state. I think that can become a real concern if you do something like Philadelphia did with some of right. those guys where you're struggling for seasons on seasons on seasons. Um, you, you may be, you know, to be honest, Buddy Heald might be a great person to ask a question like that. Somebody who's been in a Sacramento, Minnesota's doing a nice job As somebody that's been uh, that was in Minnesota for a long time you know, can that weigh? Absolutely. Am I worried about it weighing in 20, 25 games or the remaining 19? No, not really. Um, But I I think in that moment, especially everything that those guys from Sacramento had been through, the emotional roller coaster for Halliburton, and you've got a week off, I actually did, from just a kind of emotional, mental standpoint, view that as an important game to get a win and have something to feel good about heading into the break. So, in that example, no, I was totally fine with it. I thought it was actually better that the Pacers won, even though I, I totally understand lottery ramifications. Um, and I do think there th- we were going to hit a point here, especially as Turner comes back, where you have to make a decision on Thompson, who, by the way, for what it's worth uh, in his limited time here, I found to be totally a pro. But when you have Miles Turner hopefully coming back, you've got Isaiah Jackson, you've got Goga Batase, and you've got um, Jalen Smith – you want to see what these guys have, what they can do, because they are your future. And so I think that ended up working out well. Tristan was somebody that clearly connected with Tyrese, so I wouldn't have been mad if he stayed with the Pacers for the rest of the year, but not at the expense of playing time for some of those guys. And you can't blame him for wanting to go and play for a contender.
0: Pat, why are you passing on Ken Softman's question? Are you, are you <laughs> avoiding it on purpose? I figured that we would save the best for last. Uh, well, before that, then we do need to uh, give a shout out to Alex Golden of setting the pace because, um, you know, they probably do the mailbag podcast as well as anyone, probably as frequent as anyone. But uh, he and Fauci, they put out a request for mailbag questions. And I mean, they get tons of responses. And now we did we only had about an hour and a half of time. And like I said, you did a really good job of getting some responses. Um, but, uh, you know, the idea mailbag podcasts are nothing new but I do think that they do them pretty well and so um, thanks to Alex for maybe retweeting uh, my tweet and also sending in this question and I'll go at you did you see the the Pacers um, walk-in shots on the on social media Monday night I did Um, okay here we go as a man of fashion which I'm not (laughs) sure who he's referencing me neither is it himself (laughs) maybe (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but I'll just say, Pat, you're a man of fashion, okay? Uh, although he does have my name first as he asked the question in the tag, so... I'm pretty yeah. sure
1: that just automatically is done that way by Twitter.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, no, no, he didn't say as a man. He says as men, so he's okay. calling... okay. We're, we're both men of fashion. There you go. The question, as men of fashion, who has more drip, Tyrese or Miles? Tough call between... Holly's birthday fit and Miles' sunflower jumper. There you go. Who's got more drip, Pat?
1: Let me say this. Uh, the only area where I feel like I'm even a little fashionable revolves around uh, what we wear to games, which are suits. And by the way, my style is not flashy. I just think <laughs> from a from a style perspective, like I, I could help somebody out who maybe is buying a, a few suits for the first time. Uh, in terms of what those guys are wearing, that is so far over my head. And I hate to say this, but even as a 31-year-old, like, I feel like some of this, even though that wasn't that long ago, like, is a completely different era of fashion. I I could never in a million years pull off what Tyrese pulled off <laughs> last night. Uh, I, I feel that way about 50-50 on Miles. Like, sometimes... He, I'll give it I'll give it to miles. I'll give the uh, the the win here, in my opinion, to miles um because a, we haven't seen enough of Tyrese, but B, because miles, miles has just a um, a a wide variety. Like sometimes he'll come in in a t-shirt and then sometimes he'll come in dressed up in something that I'm not even sure those are technically considered clothes. So like I, just miles is so well-rounded in his fashion. I will give him the victory. And uh, and when you go to Texas, you always get the Miles cowboy hat. So uh, mm. that alone will give me the win uh, or will give Miles the win for me. I feel like we've even seen a non-Texas
0: game. Probably. <laughs> and I think he's really stepped it up during this recent injury. Probably, um, you know, not to say that. The, this is true, but maybe boredom sets in just a little bit and, you know, you're not able to play, you're, you're doing rehab. Uh, you're not even really practicing at this point. Maybe he's doing a little bit right now, but had not a, up until recently, if at all. Um, and, you know, we do know he's taken up to TikTok, So he's trying to build his TikTok base. And so I don't have a problem with him having fun. Um, some of the style. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, with with just particular to Monday night though, I did like Halliburton's uh, outfit better than Miles or Sunday night, Monday night, the
1: Orlando outfit. But in general, we'll give we'll give Miles praise. <laughs> That's fair. Any any of these others you want to hit upon? And by the way, uh, we did end up getting a really good response, which I do appreciate. And like I said, um, I'm I'm literally seeing some of these roll in and filter in as we are going here, and I, and we're just not going to have time for all of them, but. Uh, some of these, a lot of these, like I said, are draft related. JJ and I will probably have a more draft or two focused type of show as we get closer to the draft. But I know along those something- lines, uh, you're in digital meetings. I just would like to, because I was thinking about
0: this when you mentioned the lottery. Um, I'd like to volunteer my services to help cover the draft lottery for Pacers.com. Okay. I mean, can you put, throw my name out there? I mean, I you'll probably be busy. I don't know what the fever schedule looks like. But I've, I've done a lot of things in, in sports and covered a lot of things. And I've always loved the draft lottery. And this seems like it's a, it might be a really big one for the franchise. So if you need team coverage, uh, if you need a podcaster on site, if you need any number of things, I, I'm not going to say that I'm going to be uh, the representative. I think that there are obviously some – this is going to be a big-time decision of who goes to represent the team. But I, I'm on board to go cover that draft
1: lottery. All right. I'll let them know. And, <laughs> okay. you know, perhaps, perhaps even a couple of them listen to the podcast. So ah, you're see, letting well, them know. Then how about this? How about you see if they made it this
0: far and they bring it up to you before you bring it Ooh. up to them? Yeah, but then it's awkward if, if they don't. Uh, I know. Well, I've been let <laughs> down before. <laughs>
1: Me too. And it'll happen again. <laughs> yep. Uh, did, did you you going to go to Ken then? I, I, mean, I don't yeah. have anything for Ken here. WWE just never really did it for me. So I apologize, yeah. Ken. I have to shut this down immediately. Although it's good having Ken as a resource because uh, there are, of course, plenty of people that are interested in the WWE and he uh, was, and Tyrese Halliburton is one of them. And so yes. luckily you just need a well-rounded crew and Ken is able, I think, to help um, provide in those type of areas, which I don't want to speak for you, um, but it's certainly not a area of <laughs> of strength or frankly a, a ton of interest that I've had. My WWE
0: background is is pretty limited. It was uh, Junkyard Dog in the video game series. I think it was Sega back in the day. I like to play that. And then I just remember all the Hulk Hogan t-shirts. Now that's not the kind of t-shirt he's referencing. So just some background as well on this. Um, when I was sitting down with Tyrese Halliburton for a feature, or really for a few features, hopefully that will air in the next couple of months, I did ask him a series of questions about his fashion and kind of what he tries to to do. And because I had actually listened to a podcast when the Pacers acquired him, um, that he did with uh, I forget what it was called, but it was his rookie season, and it was all about you know game day fashion and things like that. So I listened to that, and it was fresh in my mind. So I asked him about how important it is to what he wears to the arena, but that's where it came out of his interest in WWE shirts. And so Ken was actually covering Saturday's practice because I was working the uh, girls basketball state finals. And uh, he asked Tyrese along the wrestling theme, his favorite wrestler, and that was John Cena. And then he asked about his favorite wrestling shirt. And I'm also of limited knowledge. So maybe we can, Maybe we can have Ken come on the podcast at some point, and and you know he's, you know he's a a man of fashion as well. I mean, just look at Ken Softman, and you just know, you know that man <laughs> has style,
1: right? Of course. Okay, that's the well, first thing so, I think of.
0: Exactly. So uh, you know, uh, we added on Pacers Live pregame actually. Tyrese's answer to Ken about his favorite wrestler and also his favorite uh, wrestling vintage tee, and he he said. And I have to get a little more of uh, details on this he said it was the most expensive purchase or clothing purchase that he had made and he made it after his rookie season um, and it was a vintage WWE shirt that he bought I think in Las Vegas um, and I, so I don't I didn't find out how much it cost but then Ken put up the picture um, on the pregame show and I'm not sure if it came from Tyrese's Instagram feed or where. But if you want to do a deep dive and try to figure out more about Tyrese Halliburton and WWE shirts, I think there might be something there and you might have a way to uh, uh, make a connection with Tyrese or even maybe uh, think of him in a better light even than you already do, which I think right now people are loving everything they're seeing from Tyrese Halliburton. And one last thing, I did want to try to clarify this. You might not know the answer to this. He tweeted about the girls' basketball uh, state finals on Saturday night, Ashland Shade of Noblesville. Um, but what I didn't know, if he was actually in the building or not, um, and I, I wasn't working the night broadcast. And, and then Eddie White said he was there, but then I was just disappointed we didn't have that as a picture. Or um, I, I watched part of the 4A game. I was doing something else during the 3A game. So uh, I guess I'm disappointed if we didn't get a shot of him on the broadcast. But so what do you know?
1: Well, I actually think Eddie White might be incorrect here if he said he was okay. there because he was asked about this um, by James Boyd from the star because he gave a shout out. And I apologize. I don't have the name on the top of my head, but the star from Noblesville. Yeah, um, and he, it, it, yes, yes. And, and Tyrese gave a shout out to her. And James asked about that, and Tyrese said he was out with some family at dinner at a place oh, that okay. they had the game on. And so he was watching her, and he and he said, you know, <laughs> at first he joked, I didn't even know the state finals were happening, which, of course, you could forgive him. He's been here for three weeks, and I doubt the uh, high school state finals are on the top of his to-do list in terms of information to gather in the city. But he was watching, and he saw the records, and at first he said he thought that Franklin – um, community was the favorite because of their only one loss record, their their one loss record and, and said he was a when he was in high school they had one loss and he knew what it was like to have uh, the spotlight and the, and the target on their back. And then he started watching, Noblesville play and, and saw her play and just saw, um, you know, all the things that she was doing and was so impressed. And he was actually saying that he was sitting there like staying a little bit late at dinner to watch her and, and looked her up. And uh, I, I guess she's going to Yukon. And then he said, okay, well, now I understand. (laughs) Now (laughs) I understand why Noblesville and why she is so good, but yeah, Yeah. I I don't think he was in the building. Um, But then uh, Chrissy Myers, one of our PR members and and team media relations members informed him um since he didn't know about that she made the point to inform him that uh, big 10 women are coming up big 10 men are coming up after that then the boys state tournament is coming up and uh well first he kind of um shrugged off the big 10 tournament because he made some comment about the big 12 being the real Uh. basketball tournament to watch (laughs) Um, we'll we'll forgive him for that just move right on right well forgive him and then he did say he said that boys tournament if we can make it i want to try to be at it so that can that can sometimes be a challenge because oftentimes the team's on the road uh during that stretch but he did say i haven't i haven't cross-checked the schedules he did say he would like to be there for the boys tournament so you might be able to catch him there if it works out from a scheduled scheduling perspective,
0: I actually have
1: cross-checked the
0: schedules and it will be impossible because the, uh, the Pacers are in Toronto the day of the boys basketball state finals. So he won't be able to be there, but I do know he was talking before the all-star break, even about trying to find a good game. And so um, unfortunately sectional week is this week and he's on the road all of this week. And so I, um, I do think maybe there'd be a Saturday that he could catch one if he's really determined, uh, either regional or semi-state. One of, one of those two Saturdays, the Pacers are at least off, but I'm not sure if they're home. So it may or may not happen, but let's just say this. We concluded the last probably 10, 15 minutes of this podcast talking about Tyrese Halliburton's love of wrestling, his appreciation for high school basketball, and you already have seen what he's what he can do on the court. So um, safe to say it's
1: love at first sight at this point with the Pacers fan base. Yeah, no argument there. He's been tremendous. And I think it'll be really fascinating to watch how he gels, how he molds with the rest of his teammates this year. And then, you know, ultimately, when you look at him, um, it's it's what can you put around him and can you find the right guys around him? They've got a couple of really intriguing guys, of course, in Duarte, but Buddy Heald. And you know, I'll just kind of quick, quickly hit on this as we as we wrap. You know, we did get some questions about what happens in the offseason with a lot of these guys. And look, your your uh, guess is as good as mine. We more or less pitched this question to Chad Buchanan. And he more or less said, we have a ton of avenues that we can go down. And we haven't fully decided where the Pacers land in the draft lottery. will have a ton to do about that. What kind of potential offers they're getting for some of those guys will have a ton to do with that. Um, you know, they'll be in an interesting position because they'll have – you know, at least three guys um, that are in their primes and probably playing at a very high level heading into the off-season. That teams that are looking to contend will probably uh, be trying to get the Pacers to, um, you know, find something that they are willing to let go of. But also, it's of course important to have those type of guys around a team, even if you are going younger. So we did get a bunch of those questions. I think it's it'll be fascinating to watch. I think the first domino to fall will be the lottery Um, and then you know ultimately it's why I think it's important to watch how Malcolm Brogdon how buddy healed which by the way both of those have been really really strong those two have been really strong since they've come back and then how Miles Turner looks because you want to get some looks with these guys with some of your younger guys Um, and even if you do decide to make a move involving any of them of course you want them looking good to get your trade value up there too but I think first and foremost it's how do those guys fit with the current players on the roster? and if nothing else, it's another reason to watch the Pacers here down the stretch in these final 19 games there's ton there's a ton of interesting games coming up including Sacramento who will be back in the building um, later this month which of course will be uh, you know fun and jarring and and all of the different mixed emotions as Sabonis and um, you know to a lesser extent. Uh, Holiday and Lamb come back and and we would love to see you in the building. Pacers.com slash tickets is how you can do so. And I think, you know, kind of to bring this podcast full circle, Jeremiah, I think some people that haven't been there maybe before the pandemic or, uh, you know, maybe since earlier in the season would be surprised just at the environment around these games right now. You would never guess the team's record based on it. And uh, it's kind of had the feel of a team that is pushing for the playoffs, despite the fact that that's looking like a long shot at the moment.
0: Yeah, I've had people ask me what the atmosphere has been like, because they say it looks better on TV. Um, the crowds look pretty good. And I agree with everything that you see on TV and even you feel in the building. It has all been better. And so um there, I had some concerns. I've already acknowledged this when the trade was made, what the reaction would be. I think there are a lot of factors in play here. If you don't make the trades and you have the exact same roster, you're going to get better crowds towards the end of the season. The weather starts to get nicer. Also, you had COVID still in everyone's minds when this season started, and you didn't have a lot of group sales. Let's be perfectly honest. That is a big um, factor in getting... That extra maybe two to three thousand fans in a in a building on an any given night, and and the groups were smaller, so there there was a lot of hand wringing about the crowds early in the season, and then the product didn't live up to maybe what the expectations were. But that's in the past. I think that this franchise and even you know everything is on a good in a good place moving forward, and that atmosphere is good as well. And you know it's March first as we record this. You'll post this on the second, but it's an awesome month and. If you can come out to a Pacer game this month, there aren't as many opportunities just because of um, the building being used for other things, but there are plenty of times you can come. You already mentioned um, the high school boys state finals, but this week the women's big 10 and you mentioned the men's big 10. And then the week after that is first and second round action for the NCAA. We're in the middle of a stretch of 49 basketball games to be played in 34 days. And so if you haven't been out to the field house and, uh, you know, you haven't seen the renovations with your own eyes, I'd invite you out. If you're at a Pacer game, I invite you to come say hello um during the pregame show or after the pregame show or maybe at halftime. I don't have as much time at halftime, but I'd be happy to say hello. And so um, come out, say hello, uh, take in some of the experience, the atmosphere. And uh, yeah, Pat and I are even
1: maskless at a Pacers game. I mean, that's that's <laughs> exciting right there. And one more step toward normalcy, which uh, any step in the right direction has been uh, very well uh, received and much appreciated from our end. So that'll wrap it up. Thank you to everybody who asked questions. I apologize if we couldn't get to yours. Uh, We will store some of them. We will bring them back up um, at a time that's a little bit more appropriate as we get closer to the draft. 19 games remaining in the season for the Pacers at the time of this recording. So we'll still have... A handful of podcasts to get to you. And then, of course, we will be continuing in the offseason as well around the draft and around free agency and all of that. If you are newer to the podcast, this is a weekly podcast during the season and one that um, airs as pertinent items happen during the offseason. So we hope you will be with us throughout uh, the entirety of the NBA year, which, of course, for the Pacers, Uh, Still about a fourth the way of the season to go and plenty to watch, plenty to listen to as well. For Jeremiah, I'm Pat. We will talk to you next Wednesday on the Sideline Guys, powered by GameBridge.